Session 15. Life in the World. Introduction. Wesley would fly away from the prosperous in order to minister to the poor. Thus, Wesley could say to his critics, The honorable, the great, we are thoroughly willing to leave to you. Only let us alone with the poor, the vulgar, the base, the outcasts of men. A Farther Appeal to Men of Reason and Religion. Works 8, 239. Life in the World. As we have seen, Wesleyanism is thoroughly optimistic. Those who hold to Wesleyan theology hold to a belief in God that emphasizes the depth and breadth of his love for all of humanity. It emphasizes that God's grace can truly transform an individual from the inside out, and true sanctification is possible in this life. It believes in the growth and maturity that can come from spiritual formation and the means of grace. It believes in the community of faith as a place where love is genuinely expressed and needs are truly met through mutual accountability and acceptance. Wesleyan theology is optimistic, intensely optimistic, not only about individual transformation, but also social transformation, about the difference perfect love can make, not only in the individual's life and in the church, but also in the world. Every aspect of Wesley's relentless focus on an individual's holiness was for the purpose of making that individual an agent of perfect love to those around him or her. Inward transformation, if it were real and sustained, necessarily led to what Wesley would call acts of mercy. As he is so often quoted to say, there is no holiness but social holiness. The instruction and advice to carry out particular acts of service in the world spread through the culture of Methodism, not only in the time of Wesley, but also in the next century and beyond. Scholars now recognize that well before what is known as the social gospel movement of the early 20th century, a movement associated with liberal Protestantism, Methodism and the holiness movement of the late 19th century in particular evangelized the downcast, assisted the needy, ministered to the sick, fed the poor, advocated for the oppressed, and sought liberation for slaves and women, all in the name of perfect love for God and neighbor. For our purposes here, we will delineate those acts into evangelism, compassionate ministry, social justice, and liberation. It is not coincidental we end with this session, for the totality of Wesleyan theology drives toward touching real lives with real love. Wesley on Evangelism It is fair to wonder, if Wesley had not been barred from Anglican pulpits, would he have ever moved to preaching in the fields with the world as his parish? What we can be sure of is after 1738 and Aldersgate, Wesley saw the necessity of preaching salvation and its assurance. In most respects, he absolutely lined up with the great revivalists of his age, including Jonathan Edwards and George Whitefield. He called persons to faith in Jesus Christ. He is, without a doubt, an evangelical call to new birth and new creation. He told his lay preachers, You have nothing to do but to save souls. Therefore, spend and be spent in this work. And go always, not only to those that want you, but to those that want you most. Observe, it is not your business to preach so many times and to take care of this or that society but to save as many souls as you can, to bring as many sinners as you possibly can to repentance. Minutes of Several Conversations Works, Jackson, 8, 310
But unlike his Calvinist contemporaries, Wesley's understanding of salvation represents a broader, more holistic view. By salvation, I mean not barely, according to the vulgar notion, deliverance from hell or going to heaven, but a present deliverance from sin, a restoration of the soul to its primitive health, its original purity, a recovery of the divine nature, the renewal of our souls after the image of God, in righteousness and true holiness, in justice, mercy, and truth. A further appeal to men of reason and religion. Works, Jackson, 847. Evangelism for Wesley must lead to placing a new believer into a method of spiritual formation if its results are to be lasting. The genius of Methodism, and that for which its significant and lasting growth can be attributed, is small groups, bands and classes that connected newly confessing Christians to the means of spiritual growth. Wesley Uncompassionate Ministry There is no doubt Wesley's evangelistic concerns were specifically directed toward the poor. Yet, it would have been unthinkable for Wesley to have preached the good news of the gospel without also attending to the basic physical needs of his listeners. Even more than that, Wesley believed not only was the good Methodist service to the poor necessary, life with the poor was absolutely required for the genuine Christian disciple. According to Theodore Jennings, Wesley could no more imagine a week without visiting the hovels of the poor than he could a week without participation in the Eucharist. Theodore Jennings Jr., Wesley and the Poor, an Agenda for Wesleyans, in The Portion of the Poor, Good News to the Poor in the Wesleyan Tradition, page 21. His commitment was relentless. Wesley could say, The Honorable, the Great, we are thoroughly willing to leave you. Only let us alone with the poor, the vulgar, the base, the outcasts of men. A farther appeal to men of reason and religion. Works, Jackson, 8, 239. Methodists gave to the poor, lived with the poor, and preferenced the poor. A matter of principle for Wesley, biblically based and theologically sound. But it was driven by contact with real persons, whom Wesley called his people to love in the name of Christ. The Church of the Nazarene was founded with a similar driving agenda. It is only with deliberate thought and action that we will remain faithful to our roots. Wesley on Social Justice Wesley was interested not only in feeding, clothing, and caring for the poor, but also in rectifying and reforming the social structures that kept them poor. It was and is not good enough to call such oppressive structures an unfortunate result of the evil in the world that came as a result of the fall. Acting, specific intentional acting, for what has come to be known as social justice must be at the heart of Wesleyan theology. In the 1980s, 100 million children died of poverty. As a point of reference, 12 million people died in the Nazi Holocaust. A holocaust of neglect plagues this world. National, political, institutional structures contribute to this horrific reality. It is the Christian's responsibility not only to work to alleviate the symptoms of suffering, but also to alleviate the reasons for the suffering. This applies personally, locally, and globally. Wesley and Liberation Theology since the 1960s, various theologies have arisen that have now come to be known as liberation theologies. They are characterized by the doing of theology from a particular context, a context from within a marginalized group, 
Although some of these have developed into complex theological reflection, for each, the practical known as praxis, liberation of the oppressed, remains the ultimate goal. Examples are Black theology, feminist theology, South American liberation theology, known as SALT, Asian theology, Latino theology. Scholars have made connections between the culture of these movements and the culture of John Wesley's optimism regarding social transformation. Wesley advocated for black slaves in England and America. He is recognized as a rather progressive feminist in light of his views on men and women's spiritual and ecclesiastical equality and his sanction of women's right to preach. As has been stated, he sided with the oppressed, the poor, and the outcast of society. There is definitely a theme of liberation in Wesley's individual and social vision flowing out of his optimism about true liberation from the power of sin in this life. He envisioned social liberation for certain classes and marginalized groups, and he demanded his Methodist people work for such human freedoms. Yet, unfortunately, popular evangelical Christianity today is sometimes known more for its individualism, its escapist mentality, its separationist tendencies, and even its hate for the other. Wesleyan theology offers a different paradigm. The Church of the Nazarene, as an evangelical but not fundamentalist church, has opportunity to make a difference in the world's perception of Christianity. Holiness and perfect love, as taught and lived by John Wesley and his followers, was not only our past but is also our future, if we let it guide us, not just as our distinctive but as our directive. In conclusion, a quote from Wesleyan theologian Theodore Runyon. Some theologians have found a peculiar affinity between Wesley's doctrine of sanctification and movements for social change. When, on the individual level, Christian perfection becomes the goal, fundamental hope is aroused that the future can surpass the present, and a corresponding holy dissatisfaction is aroused with regard to any present state of affairs a dissatisfaction that supplies the critical edge necessary to keep the process of individual transformation moving. Moreover, this holy dissatisfaction is readily transferable from the realm of the individual to that of society, where it provides a persistent motivation for reform in the light of a more perfect way that goes beyond any status quo. The New Creation, John Wesley's Theology Today, Theodore Runyon, page 168. Application 1. Write a reflection paper and relate how Wesley's practice of acts of mercy corresponds with contemporary opportunities for compassionate ministry. 2. Write a reflection paper on how Wesleyanism for social justice compares to your own beliefs about social justice. 3. Write a reflection paper on how the Wesleyan theology of liberation affects your local congregation. 4. List some of the particular functions of your church that address the needs of the world, what might be called the external functions of the church, 